Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. Many times we can fall into a view of Jesus that is simple or routine, but there is so much more to the purpose of Jesus for us to understand. Jesus came to radically change our perspective on what it means to truly live. We're in a series that takes a look at statements that Jesus himself said about his mission while he was here on earth. Our lives can be different because of Jesus. Welcome to Grace Life. So glad to have you worshiping with us wherever you are. Once again, we would love to welcome you, say hello to you, show you some hospitality. So whatever platform you're using to watch somewhere, there is a link you can click for our Connect card. Let us know you're here. Again, it's a no-hassle guarantee. I promise we're not going to come knock on your door, but we would like to say hello. Uh, hey, before we get into the message, two things I want to tell you about. First of all, again, right after the service, I'm going to be out in the lobby, so to speak, except the lobby is my Instagram live. So come uh, have a conversation with me and, and chat with some others. So you can find that right there on the screen. Right after this service, I will be there waiting to talk to you. Uh, the second thing is we want to remind you where you can find out more about what we are doing as a church, how you can get involved during the COVID-19 crisis, how you can give uh, towards the efforts that we have going on. Uh, that link is also right there on the screen for you at our website. Also, you can download our app and check that out. And then, hey, everybody, today is a special day. I want you to celebrate with me before we go any further. 14 years ago today, we launched Grace Life Church publicly. I wish I had everybody in the room cheering loudly with me to hear it, but I know you're doing it right where you are. 14 years ago today, we began our first public services, and there was just a handful of us, and we were all gathered up, and we set everything up, and we started looking out the windows just wondering if anybody's going to come. Is God ever going to do anything? And I'll tell you what, it's been a great 14 years. I'm excited to look back and see all the lives that have been changed uh, to see all that God has done, to see the impact we've had as a church in our city and around the world. And I just count it such a great privilege to be a part of this and can't wait to see what God does over the next 14, uh, 20, 30, and 40 years. It's going to be exciting. Well, hey, everybody, we're in a series called Because of Jesus. History changed about 2,000 years ago, and the world has never been the same. At any point over these last 2,000 years, uh, most people on planet Earth at any given time would know the name. Many would know the story, the impact that he had uh, because of his life, his death, his resurrection. He has created a worldwide following of worship for millennia. But listen, it's much more than just history that changed. Actually, what this series is about is how our lives have changed. Jesus made many statements about what he came to do during his time on the earth. And uh, we've gone and looked at some of those, and we've come up with eight of them that we want to talk about in this series, that these eight specifically change how you and I live. When we wake up every single day, when we get up and say, today I'm going to go out into the world, these things change us. They change how we interact with the world. They change how we interact with our own soul and with our God in heaven. It's more than just history that changed. And I want to start with a story that is every parent's nightmare. 
This happened to uh, my family, my wife and I, we were on vacation with our four kids about nine years ago, I think it was about nine years ago, and we were on a beach vacation, it's a huge resort, so it's right on the ocean, lots of pools, several different uh, hotel buildings, it was really big and, and just really kind of chaotic sometimes, and, and so we had our youngest daughter, Sophie, she was only not even a year old at the time, so this was at the point where her first summer, she's in the stroller or she's in your hands. That's kind of the only thing that you can do with her. And then our, our next two sons, Caden uh, and Nate, were three and four years old. We had our, our oldest son was about 12 at the time. And so we went to the kiddie pool area. And because this resort was kind of so chaotic, they had fenced off an area where, where there was just a place for kids to play. It had all these water slides and the dumping buckets and all the cool stuff. But the fence had this big green mesh all the way around it. So if you were on the outside, you, you couldn't see what the families were doing. And if you were a family, you didn't have to worry about weird people watching your kids. It was kind of an enclosed sort of thing. And then there was a lot of plants around it and everything. And it had like a, a very narrow one-person entrance and a very narrow one-person exit. And we had been in there for a while. We were playing, having a great time. And then we reached the point where we decided we need to leave. I honestly don't remember now if we were going to lunch or going to do something else. But as we're getting everything, together and uh, there's three of us that are old enough to take care of the other three and so it's like okay who's got the stroller and who's turning all the towels in because as you left the gate they kind of created a bottleneck taking your towels back because you know getting those towels is really important right and, and so one of us were like who's got the stroller who's got the cooler who's got the towels who's doing this and and by the time we all made it through that little single file situation and we stepped right outside of the the fenced area we noticed there were no longer six of us. There were only four of us. And so if you're a parent, the first thing you do is, is you think they're hiding behind you or they're beside the stroller because, you know, all the time we go, where's my kid? And you look and they're right there. Just like you go, where are my glasses? And they're on your head kind of thing. And so we all did that look around and they weren't there. So then you do that real quick, take three steps this direction and look and take a few steps that direction and look and, and they weren't there. And so then I say, everybody, just wait a second. And then you take that 10-step run and a 10-step run the other direction. And, and you come back in about 30 seconds, and they're not there. And that's where the panic begins to set in. Because you know this is a huge resort. These are two very small children. Lots of people everywhere. Lots of really big crowded swimming pools where things could happen and people wouldn't notice in time. It's right on the beach. Kids love to go and wander off into unknown things. So at that moment, we just we tell our 12-year-old son, stay with the stroller, stay with the baby. And my wife and I each say, we're going to go run a different direction and look. And, and we go and we do all of the looking and we come back a, a couple of minutes later and nobody has found them. At this point, things really start to get serious, and if you've ever been in that situation, you know, you, you've tried to hold on to your, your senses for a little bit, and then you realize, now I'm really starting to be a parent, and I'm worried. And, and I'll have to tell you, I've been married for 24 years. I've only seen my wife absolutely hysterical one time, and this was it. So at this point, she's beginning to get really worried. I, I'm a certified lifeguard, and, and so I'm beginning to know all of the things that could be going wrong and trying to push those things to the back of my head because I don't want to get too worried, trying to keep everybody else calm. And 
So I tell my wife, I'm going to go look at the pools and see if, if I can find anything and ask her to go check a few areas and, and go inside and maybe even tell the, the resort staff that we're missing our kids. So, so I go running around, look at all the pools. I go running down to the beach and after about 10 minutes, I come back and, and I can't hear, uh, I can't see them anywhere. I can't uh, find them any place. And, and my wife has gone inside and she's found the resort staff and, and, and she's kind of frantic and said, help, you've got to help us find our kids. And she got the most absurd response. The, the, the people behind the counter said, ma'am, don't worry, we lose kids every day. And she flips out on them and says, but I don't. And, and then as I, I'm outside, I'm listening, I hear the walkie-talkies all over the resort start going off. They, they, at that point, they had uh, the, the lawn keepers and they had the lifeguards and they had the drink servers and they had everybody looking for these two kids. I think they were far more worried about my wife coming across that desk at them than they were what was really happening to our children. But at this point, we, we all go into searching all around and and, and minutes go by and more minutes go by and, and nobody can find them. And we're just still hearing everybody on the radios talking and they're looking for them and, and time continues to go by. It's, it's been over 20 minutes at this point and no one, and with everyone looking, no one knows where these two children are. It was a big resort. We had stayed at a condo at the other end of the resort and, and my wife says, I, I'm gonna go and see if they tried to go back there. There was no way they could have found their way back even if they had wanted to at three and four years old. It was down streets and through the woods and kind of thing. And, and she didn't have a phone with her. So as, as she's going back and, and she's looking there and uh, I, I think, okay, wait a minute, we can't find uh, them here either. Now I've gotta go see if I can find her. I'm gonna drive down some roads. And so I get the other two kids and I put them in the minivan because it was in the parking lot right beside the, the pool area area there. I get my keys, and as I uh, turn the van on, and I look in the rearview mirror to back up the van, I see our two kids, and, and they've been playing. And the crazy part is they weren't 30 seconds away from where we lost them now about 30 minutes ago. It turns out they had just wandered right around the corner. Again, that green mesh on the fence means you couldn't see. There were some plants, and then there was a bunch of construction stuff, and they had found a golf cart in the midst of the construction area, and for 30 minutes, they had just been playing and, and having the time of their life, although we are totally freaking out at this point. Now, look, I, I know many of you can relate to that feeling where you've lost something, but I know parents especially can, can understand exactly what I'm talking about, because actually, I don't know many parents who haven't had a panic moment, either in a grocery store, a shopping mall, near a swimming pool, and we just have that time of where our hearts just freak out. And there's a reason. See, our hearts and, and our nature is for everything else to just drop if our kids are in danger. And I think it's actually because we're made in God's image. And God's heart breaks for his lost children, just like our hearts break for our lost children. And, and what's crazy is that just like our sons, God's lost children tend to not know they're lost. They found something to play with, and they're just having a good time going about life all the while God's heart is breaking. And so in this part of the series, we want to talk about because of Jesus and because of God's heart for his lost children, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. If you've got your Bibles with me at home, you can turn and, and follow along. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 right at the very beginning, but uh, if not, don't worry, it's going to be right here on the screen. And I'm going to show you a story of Jesus seeking and saving the lost 
and where he even says, that's actually what I came to do. It's a story of a guy named Zacchaeus. Some of you may have heard this story before, but it says, as Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And just so that we all understand, he was rich because he was a chief tax collector. He was rich because he cheated people. He charged them more for their taxes than he should be, but also uh, it says he's a chief tax collector, which means he oversees other tax collectors who were also cheaters and presumably would take a little cut by allowing them to continue to do that. So he had become a very rich person and probably not a very liked person. It says he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I feel you, Zacchaeus, I'm I'm with you there. So he, he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, he came down, he received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. I mean, think about this. Why are they grumbling? Why are they even surprised? Well, they're surprised and they're grumbling because they totally misunderstand what Jesus came to do. Actually, if you think about it this way, Jesus has become a man with a following. And he's got all of these people that are coming up. They want to hear his teaching. They've heard stories. He supposedly prays for people and they get healed. So all of the religious leaders, they're, they're trying to do their moment like, oh man, I hope Jesus is going to hang out with me. They're looking forward to him coming into their house so they can get their little selfie posted on Instagram. Look, Jesus and me, look, we're hanging out together. And, and, and so what people assumed at that time was how... Uh, People would would develop followings, and so they would call them rabbis. They would be teachers, and so all of these teachers would gather their own groups of disciples, and so everybody just assumed that's who Jesus was, that he has come to be one of the religious leaders. He wants to become a rabbi. He wants to have a following of all these people, and he travels from town to town, but it turns out that's not what he was doing at all, and Jesus showed what he was coming to do by who he hung out with. He said, I didn't come to collect religious people. I came to seek and save sinners. And so Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. The truth is Zacchaeus was a sinner, but he knew it. And when he met Jesus, everything changed for him. And so Jesus said to him, look, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now this for you and me as we read this story today is probably the least arguable statement you could make about Jesus. We would all say, of course, it's what he's known for. Uh, Matter of fact, John 3, 16 For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Christians can rattle it off that fast. People who have never gone to church can say they're familiar with it. There are people who aren't Christians who even have that verse memorized. It's the most famous verse you could probably even say out there. And so look, today we wouldn't begin to argue with that statement. But at that time, As Jesus was standing there talking to Zacchaeus, it was a very arguable statement, and it was actually even a very misunderstood statement. Again, they thought Jesus was trying to raise up his own following just to become a great religious leader. 
the Jews even were looking forward to someone to come and make everything right. For, the, for those who hoped and believed that he might even be the promised one. For those who had an idea that he could be the Messiah. He was healing people. People being raised from the dead. He was preaching about the kingdom. There was something about him. And even for those who believed that's what he was. They misunderstood. They thought he's going to come and sit on a, a throne on earth. He was going to become a king. He was going to overthrow the Romans. And everything was going to be all right for the Israelites once again. They totally misunderstood. Jesus didn't want to just have a following and become a great preacher and, and a rabbi. Jesus didn't want to become king on earth. Everybody misunderstood. And the thing that happens is today, we misunderstand. Because we, we just get to the point of saying, oh, Jesus came to save me. Okay, then I need to be saved. And then I'm just going to show up once a week and kind of worship and wait and go to heaven. And look, that, by the way, I need to tell you that that is the most important question you'll ever answer in your life. So before we go on to what we've misunderstood, I, I just want to make sure you've answered this question. Do you count yourself among those that Jesus has saved? Do you understand that someday you are going to have to account for your life? And we have a, a perfectly holy God, and then there's us, and we are not perfectly holy. And the thing that separates us, that, that unperfectness and, and that, that unholiness, is just simply called sin. It's that ugly word we don't like to use. And we either have to find an answer for that on our own, or we recognize that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It was his death when he died on the cross that he paved a way for our sins to be paid for, for us to be forgiven, for us to be right with God so that we have eternal life with him. It's the most important question you'll ever answer in your whole life. Are you among those that Jesus has saved? But once we understand that, to make sure we don't misunderstand the implications of that the same way the Jews did, we have to ask the next question. If I'm among those that Jesus saved, and if I am a follower of Jesus, and Jesus came to seek and save the lost, do I seek and save the lost? Do I? And look, I know this is such an uncomfortable question. Anytime somebody uh, talks to us about the, the importance of reaching those around us and sharing with them who Jesus is, we, we all get a little uncomfortable because we get images that come to our mind of like, oh, that means going out and talking to strangers and just walking up to people on the street and saying, do you know Jesus? And, and being the person who is always trying to turn every conversation into a prayer or the one that tries to bring up Jesus at every moment, every time. So like you're at Thanksgiving dinner and, oh, Grandma, listen, this is awesome turkey. This is the best turkey I've ever had. You've really outdone yourself this year. But let me ask you a question, Grandma. If you were to choke on this turkey and you were to meet Jesus, today, look, they stop inviting us to Thanksgiving, right? No, nobody wants to be around that person that's constantly doing that. And so you don't want to become the social outcast. And maybe it would help if we could just stop for a minute and change our idea of what it means to seek and save the lost. First of all, let me just show you this. Do you realize Jesus didn't act like that? Je Jesus didn't ask everybody, if you choked on your turkey right now, where would you go? Actually, what Jesus did for the most part was reveal the goodness of God. He, he spent most of his time talking about God's kingdom 
and God's plan for them, for their lives, God's plan for creation. He demonstrated the power of God. He showed them who God really was because the truth is most of us have a crazy idea of who God is. We've invented our own ideas based on our own logic, our own philosophy. Look, we've all heard people say it. Matter of fact, we've, we've probably all said it at some time. Well, if there's a God, I think he should be like this, or I think he should do that. Well, if there is a God, he would be. And then we know that there are actually other religions and other taught ideas and other preached ideas of what a God must be like. Even those of us that are raised in the Christian faith, we tend to have the idea that, that God is, is this angry being sitting up in heaven with lightning bolts in his hand, just ready to strike us at any moment and and it's just the sweet Jesus that saved us from that wrath. And so there is so much, under, much misunderstanding. And even the, the Jews at the time, they, they didn't understand who God really was and, and what the Father's heart was for them. And so much of what Jesus did was just introducing them to what God wanted for them, who God really was and what his kingdom would be like. Because, see, it turns out that God wants the same thing for us that we want. And that is simply life in a world that isn't broken and sinful. And once people realize that God wants the same thing for them that they want, that, that God loves them and God wants the best for them, that God's intent for them is immeasurably greater than they could ever imagine. By the way, that's one of God's promises in the Bible. And that, that God is good, then as soon as they begin to understand that, they're going to want to be around God. So if we actually changed our idea of what it means to seek and save the lost, to, to just seeing those people and beginning to introduce them to a good God. If we spent less time telling them what's wrong with them and less time trying to scare them into the what if you die today and more time introducing them to who he really is and telling them about his goodness for them, then our whole idea, well, it may change and be a little easier for us to understand and let me just tell you one more thing that'll take a lot of negative pressure off of you when it comes to seeking and saving the lost. You don't save anybody. You don't save anybody. There's, there's no pressure on you. It's Jesus the only one who saves. It is his spirit that dwells in us, that opens hearts and minds, that brings dead hearts to life. Jesus saves. But although we don't save, we cannot ignore our personal responsibility. So what is our personal responsibility? Thank you for asking. Uh, it's simply this. Look, to seek the lost and introduce them to the one who saves. That, that's all we are here to do. That's our only job, to seek the lost and introduce them to the one who saves. Matter of fact, Romans 10 says it this way. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? This is actually the very reason Jesus left us here. After Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, he made it very clear as to his disciples, like, look, this is what I want you to go do. I want you to go to the ends of the earth, and I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to teach them everything I've taught you. Let's take the kingdom everywhere. This is the reason we're here. And, and even more than that, this is the only reason Jesus has yet to come back. When Jesus left, he made a promise, I will be back. And he is waiting on one thing. There is one scripture in all of the Bible that tells us when Jesus will return. No, it's not a date. No, it doesn't have magic lottery numbers. 
but it does tell us what must happen before Jesus can come back. And this hasn't happened yet. It's in Matthew 24. It says that the end will come when this gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, when that's been preached to all nations, is probably the way your Bible reads with the word nations, but it actually just means the, the people groups, the ethnic people groups upon the earth. It doesn't really mean uh, countries that have flags and armies. And what we actually know, there, there's study done of where the gospel is on the earth. It turns out that there are actual groups of people. There are ethnic groups of people. They do not have scripture telling them about the true nature of God and what Jesus has done. They do not have people working among them to tell them. They do not have churches. They in some cases, do not even know the name of Jesus. We have a list that we call the unreached, unengaged people groups. They exist. And Jesus has said, look, I'm not coming back until those, those groups are gone. I'm not coming back until everybody on the earth knows what I've done. And so we have to ask ourselves, do I seek the lost? Do I? Look, when, when my wife and I lost our sons that day in, in that resort, we wanted someone to help us seek our children. We wanted someone to understand what we were going through. My wife has never had as much a horrific moment. I, I was beginning to think all of the things I learned in my lifeguard training about what could be happening and how people don't pay attention. And as we're frantically running around and we're looking and the, the first few moments where you kind of think it'll be okay, I'll find them behind the bush. Once that goes away and you realize you truly don't know where they are, they truly could be in danger and they've been gone from you long enough, something could have really happened to them. And as you're running around and everybody you see is just laying on a beach chair drinking their little umbrella drinks and worried about their tan lines and you're thinking are you kidding me and I think this is sadly a really good picture of a lot of believers on the earth today the the people at the desk just wanted to say look we lose kids every day they'll turn up at some point and a lot of us just say well you know what eventually my neighbor will make it to a church you know, if that person really cared, they, they would find out something. Look, this is just not really that big of a problem. We go about life just sitting on our chair, drinking our drink, not freaking out and, and concerned, maybe even aware that the person right beside us is not headed to eternity with God. And we're just going on about the way things are. Do we seek the lost. Look, when, if we talk about seeking, it's actually active. We actually, we're looking for something. If you've got to go somewhere and you don't know where your car keys are, you don't just sit on your couch and say, well, if they show up, I guess I'll do what I meant to do. No, no, you actually start looking. You overturn that. You're, you're looking under cushions. You're going everywhere. And, and you even overlook other things because you've got to find your keys. It's very active and you're seeking them. But I want to say, I think sometimes we don't seek the lost because we believe a lie. I, I, my context is that I grew up here in the Bible Belt, and since we're watching all over the world, I know some of you, maybe that's not your context, but I grew up with the mentality that, look, there's a church on every corner. If, if a lost person wanted to know Jesus, if somebody who's not worshiping wanted to worship, they would just go to one of those churches. I don't really need to be too concerned. This isn't really my problem. It's kind of like the people at the beach that day. Look, not my lost kids. Many of them didn't even know kids were lost at all. But it's a lie. Zacchaeus was a thief. Zacchaeus had cheated people. Zacchaeus was a sinner. 
and yet he was climbing a tree in the middle of a crowd, which of course he knows everybody's going to notice, probably have people yelling, what are you doing, man? Get out of that tree. Hey, stop it. Get out of there, you foolish man. I mean, people are probably going to be yelling at him and saying things. But he was that determined to meet with something and someone that would change the life he had been living. And we believe a lie that just because they're not walking into that church on every corner, that they don't want something different. We believe a lie that they don't know their life is broken and they're saying, please, if somebody would just show me a better way, if somebody would just tell me something that would actually give me hope. Because the truth is we're surrounded by people who, who want hope. We see them everywhere. And the question is, is, do I introduce them to Jesus? People around us are hurting. People around us want to be free from their shame and their guilt. People around us want life to be better than it is. And this whole series, I want you to remember, it's called Because of Jesus. It's about what Jesus does when people meet him. So look, you, you don't have to have the pressure of, look, well, what if I introduce them to Jesus and ask a question, what am I going to do? Jesus will do it. He'll, he'll do everything that needs to be done. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to be a theology expert. All you need to do is introduce them to him. The most is, is be able to tell them what he's done for you. That's it. Everything else he will do. We just have to introduce them. And that's why as a church family, we do so many things to try and create opportunities to introduce people to Jesus. I was telling you a few minutes ago about that list. There is a worldwide list of all of those ethnic people groups that have yet to have people working among them to proclaim the good news of Jesus, those unreached, unengaged people groups. And I want you to know that Grace Life, we've committed, we've partnered with people around the world who, who can go places that we can't as Americans to take the gospel. And we've partnered to, to make that happen with four of those groups, to take four of those groups off of that list. I wish I could tell you so much more about what we're doing and how it works and some of the testimonies, but this is being broadcast to the whole world today, and that's simply something that we can't put on the internet. Uh, it would endanger the folks that are working there. Uh, this is also why, as a church, we are always working to make Jesus famous. We do community events that are really, we hope they're outreaches. That's, that's what we call them. We know that it's an opportunity for us to go into our community through whatever this event is, an Easter egg hunt or, or whatever else it is, some back to school party or something, that we're just hoping that it's, it's gonna take people one step closer to being able to introduce them to Jesus. It's why as a church family, we're always looking to seize whatever opportunity is happening at the moment. We're always saying, what's going on in our world and how can we use that to bring people closer to knowing who Jesus is? We're doing that right now with COVID-19. We've been trying to find families that are in need and providing assistance for them. We've done that through uh, the school system and the, the counselors there that reach out to us. It's why we've done a blood drive because there's a, a great need right now as people are afraid to be in contact with other people. The donations for blood have gone down. Uh, it's, it's why we've... Um, bought uh, medical masks and, and donated those for healthcare workers. And, and listen, here's the, the good news for you. You're doing all of that. If you're a part of Grace Life, anytime that you've served at one of our community events, anytime that you've given, you've helped towards the COVID-19 response or reaching those people groups, you've, you've already been a part of that. But as important as that is, and as awesome as you are as a church family, and as much as you have been a part of all of that, you can never replace your place in the lives of the people around you. You can never 
substitute, all that we do as a group for the very people that God has put right around you that none of us, that I don't know, that you know. Your uncle, your cousin, your coworker, your next door neighbor. And so I wanna personally challenge each and every one of us to take a look at the people right around us and, and ask the question and answer the question, do I seek and save the lost? I'm a follower of Jesus and it's what he came to do and it's what he left me to do. And I, I just wanna say that right now, as much as ever, people want hope. People need hope. Right now, uh, people want to know God's power. Right now, people want to know that God's intent is the same as their intent, and that is to have a world that is free of death, disease, and pandemics. It was God's original plan. It is the plan that God is bringing back. It's what we're crying out for. And if the, the hurting people in our world today could hear that what we want is the same thing that God wants for this world. Right now, we see people all around us. Look, we're hearing the stories of our coworkers. We're hearing the stories of family and friends who are out of work or who are struggling to, to make ends meet or, or who are, are sick or, or might be in danger of getting sick. We're hearing the stories. We're, we're reading about things online and we're seeing all of the people around us and we just know there's so much hurt. And my wife and I, we were sitting on the porch this week. We had to laugh at ourselves at a moment. We were just talking after uh, work one day and, and talking about what it's like just kind of being trapped. There's not a lot of movement. She's stuck at home uh, with the kids doing homeschool, can't go and do other things, and the groceries have to be delivered. And, and my only uh, outlet, I, I leave house, I go to my office, I sit alone, and then I leave my office and, and go back home. And, and so we were just talking about kind of how, uh, you know, we're, we're feeling about this. And I said, you know, we, we really need to stop and, and just remind ourselves the majority of our New Testament was written by Paul, and Paul was under house arrest. And Paul wrote some of the most powerful letters of encouragement to you and I as we read our scripture today uh, from prison. And Paul preached to the people he was under house arrest with. And I said, look, Paul was under house arrest. He didn't even have Netflix and pizza delivery, you know? And, and during that time, I, I think if Paul were, were where we are today, if Paul had the technology we had today, he would use a Google Hangout or a Zoom meeting and he would plant 10 churches from his living room. And, and so it's, we just had to remind ourselves, like, we, we got to stop with our little pity party here. And, and we need to actually think more like Paul would think and take advantage of this opportunity. And, and I noticed, I just want to share a story with you of uh, what, what I noticed happened with one of our teachers. We, had, we get emails all the time from our, our uh, children's teachers telling us what their assignments are and everything. And when this all began, we got an email from one of the, the teachers who said, uh, he just opened his email up with, hey, I'm praying for you. And I thought, well, I know we're in the Bible Belt, but that was bold. Uh, that's that's kind of bold in a public school system. I wonder how that's going to go over. But I, I cheered him on kind of privately. I'm saying, you go, man. You, you keep that up. And well, the next week when his email came out, it didn't open up that way. And uh, my guess would be probably somebody said a little something. I'm not sure about that. But what I loved is that he didn't silence his faith. 
uh, and he didn't silence the opportunity to reach people. And, and so as he ended this second email, he just, instead of saying, I'm praying for you, he actually prayed for us. But a lot of people wouldn't catch it. They wouldn't know what he was saying. He ended his, his second email to all of the parents in the, the, the school system of his teachers with, may the grace be with you. Which just sounds nice and polite, except he capitalized T and G, making the grace a person. Basically, he was saying, may God be with you. And I'm thinking, look, this is awesome because he was willing to take a little risk. And in a world where people are hurting and asking questions, yeah, I, I'm, I wouldn't doubt somebody complained, but I bet somebody knew they could reply to that email and say, hey, thanks for praying for me. Hey, by the way, can, can you help me during this time? Or by the way, I got a little, I'm a little concerned myself. If you're praying for me, you can pray like this or, or something. At least anybody who got that email knew they could hit reply and reach out to somebody who was representing Jesus. So I just want to encourage you right now. It may look like it is total chaos out there, but I think that we're actually living in the midst of an absolute incredible opportunity because our entire world right now is asking questions. Our entire world has never been less sure of what tomorrow holds for us all together. Individually, we may have all been through some hard times, but right now, as an entire human race, we're all saying, oh my goodness, what is tomorrow going to hold? What is this going to be like? And we're the ones that can come and say, this is an opportunity to seek out those who are hurting, to seek out those who are lost and introduce them to the one who wants good for them, to the one who saves, to the one who can answer their questions, to the one that can provide them with eternal uh, life in a, a place that doesn't have pandemics and the, the things that we suffer here on earth. And, and we really are in such uh, an midst of an opportunity with the technology that's out there today. I heard a story just this week, really incredible story. It's a lady who had been coming to our church and she had been bringing her kids, and uh, she would come to the building. She would come and worship, but she, she couldn't get her husband to come. And, and so because they were able to just sit in their living room Sunday, worship from their living room, the husband decided, hey, I can sit in my living room. And, and, and it's also safer. Think about this. You invite your friends to church, uh, and they're like, I don't know if I want to go there. What if it's weird? How am I going to get out? All that. And right now you invite people to church. They don't even have to go anywhere. You can just send them a link. You can just say, hey, why don't you watch with me? All they've got to do is click. They can watch for a minute. If it gets weird, they just click. They don't even have to pretend to be going to the bathroom. They click. They're so right now is a safe time for your friends to, to take that invitation that you give them. And in this woman's case, the husband sat down and he sat through the entire service. And he even said he wants to do it again the next week. And uh, just a great testimony of what God is beginning to do through this crisis that is going on around us. And so as you're watching this, wanna make sure you understand the calendar. Today is Palm Sunday. And that means that next Sunday is Easter. And that means that this is one of the two greatest opportunities in our calendar year, in our normal calendar year, where people want to go and worship God. We have our two highest sun, attended Sundays in the normal calendar year for churches all around the world are Christmas and Easter. And so this is one of those times where people who normally wouldn't be going to church are looking for an opportunity to hear something about Jesus and to know a little more about the hope 
uh, that he offers and to express their faith even if it's not something that they regularly do. And, and so it's just a perfect time for us. And so I want to encourage you to be bold this week. You can invite them here to the building because we won't be here in a building together next Sunday, but you can invite them just to take a moment, sit down, click on a link. Matter of fact, you can even do some of this together. You can host a watch party on uh, some different platforms and invite specific friends to come and watch with you. You can have your own private little chat and do this. Come on, look, I saw Justin Bieber do this. He invited everybody to do a watch party at his church with him. So look, he's making a difference. I know we can do this too. We can seize the opportunity right around us. And I want to encourage you, be bold. Like, actually send them a message on social media. It says, hey, would you, would you come to church with me this Sunday? from your living room. Hey, uh, call them, text them, do something. Take that little step of boldness, just like that teacher did when he said, look, I'm praying for you. Just seize the opportunity because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we're his followers. So do we seek and save the lost? Let me pray for us. Father God, we do thank you that you are a parent who loves his children. And you did not leave us here lost. You didn't say, well, it's our own fault that we got into sin, because it was. Uh, you didn't say, well, that's just too bad. They deserve what they, they get, or they get what they deserve. But you said, no, I'm going to save my children. And your son came, and he gave his life. He died on the cross, paying for our sins. And you raised him from the dead, so that by that same power, you will raise us from the death here on earth, and give us eternal life, forgiveness. And God, we thank you for what you have done for us. My prayer today for every person watching this is that you will give us your heart for your lost children. And if everybody will just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you. A moment ago in the message, I said, look, the most important question you'll ever answer in your life is, am I among those who Jesus has saved? And if you can't say for sure the answer is yes, I want to help you change that right now, right where you are. I just want to lead you in a conversation with him. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer today is that you will fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.